So this sermon is titled, Are All Sins the Same? And it has two parts. And the first part, I'm going to say, absolutely not. Are you crazy? Sins are not the same. Well, you don't have to duck. You're not going to block my view. I'm not going to fall over. (laughs) On the first part, the first half of the sermon is me saying, all sins are the same. Are you nuts? Are you crazy? And I'm going to try to lay out the ways that sins are not the same. And then the second half of the sermon is actually me saying, well, they have a point. And here's the way in which sins are the same. Here's what it means for us. And then here are some of the impacts of it. Are you ready? This is a little bit of a thinking one. So if you're like, oh, I don't like to think. Well, too bad for that. Today is the day you think. How are sins not the same? In Matthew 5, Jesus says, you've heard that that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that if you harbor lust in your heart, you are committing adultery in your heart. And you've heard it said, don't murder. But I tell you that if you harbor resentment, you're committing murder in your heart. All right, so what's Jesus saying here? Is Jesus saying that it would be just as bad for me to turn my heart away from you when you hurt my feelings as it would be be for me to stab you in the face until you are dead? Are those the same? Is that his point? No, it's not his point. No. His point, well, let me ask another question before I explain what I think his point is. Is Jesus saying it would be just as bad, just as bad, for me to entertain a moment of lustful thought about someone, a moment, is he saying it's just as bad for me to entertain a moment of lustful thought as it would be for me to fully embrace that lust, plow through all the various layers of internal warnings of my conscience, and then actively engage in an ongoing, covert, illicit sexual relationship with someone else's spouse, destructively impacting every single life connected to both of ours? Are those the same? Is Jesus saying those are the same? No, you are correct. No, they are not the same. This, I think, is Jesus' point. Lust and resentment are the inward roots. Hatred, murder, and adultery, I'm sorry, murder and adultery, those are the outward fruits. That's his point. He's saying religion, the righteousness you guys are used to hearing about is religious righteousness where we repress the outward fruits, but we can't deal with the inward roots. And the righteousness I'm bringing you in my kingdom has to do with the inward roots. See how we get stuff twisted? 
He's calling us to real freedom all the way from the inside. And instead of understanding what he's saying, people twist it and go, it's the same, all things the same to God. That's not even what we're talking about. He's talking about what's the kingdom like. Do you have a category in your mind for some sins being big sins and some sins being smaller sins? If you don't, get one, because Jesus does. Matthew 23, listen to Jesus. This is the angriest I've ever heard Jesus. In this chapter, he rebukes the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law for their hypocrisy. He says, you guys carefully tithe on your spices while you neglect, listen, words of Jesus, the weightier matters. Do you hear it? That's a comparative word. Weightier, more important. The weightier matters of the law, namely justice and mercy. He has a category in his mind for some of God's commandments being more core, more fundamental, more important. And some of God's commands having to do with more of the finer details. Do they, all, do they all matter? Yes. Do they all matter equally? Of course not. That's why he's so much angrier at the scribes and the Pharisees than at other people. His emo- Notice that. His emotional response is fiercer because their sins are worse. So if you don't have a category in your mind for some sins being bigger and some sins being smaller, upgrade. He says, you guys strain out a gnat, small, and swallow, what does he say? A camel, small, big. I take him to mean that you guys are carefully avoiding smaller sins while you diligently practice greater sins. He says, you guys travel over land and sea to make a single convert, but when the training process is finished, you make them twice a son of hell as when you started. Well, actually, he says, then you yourselves are, meaning it would have been better. He was a better, listen, he was a better person before he ever came to your church. Ouch. Talk about a bad day when, that, when that's what the accountability of God says to us. Now, if you're struggling with what I'm saying right now, hold on, I'm about to agree with you. Okay? If anyone's going, I disagree. Just hold on a minute, we'll get there. This is part one. Part two is me saying how they are all the same. Okay. Do you have a mental category for the dynamic process that each of us is involved in every day of becoming, we are becoming something. Is this how you think about it? Do you think about us becoming something every day? Each of us is either becoming every day a worse sinner or a better saint. We're becoming something. 
Jesus told parables intended to press home on us the eternal consequences of our daily choices. We are very good at ignoring consequences. Humans are bad at understanding long-term outcomes. We think for immediate gratification. I feel like doing this today. That made me happy immediately. Oh, that made me sad immediately. And he thinks in terms of a lifetime and in thousand-year implications. We're becoming something. Here's five ways that sins are not the same. Just five. We could do more, but we're going to just five. First way, sins are not the same. Number one, sins have different internal consequences. Internal consequences. Every moral choice is turning our soul either closer to Jesus or further away from Jesus. And it impacts who we're becoming. But some choices, and you know this from your own experience, some choices have bigger impact. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul identifies sexual sin as impacting us in a uniquely destructive and powerful way. And I think victims of sexual abuse would testify and say, oh yeah, that one damaged me worse than some of the other things that have happened in my life. It doesn't mean you can't get out. It doesn't mean you can't get free. It doesn't mean you can't get whole. We're just observing that sins have different internal consequences. The greater the gift... Sexuality is a great gift. The greater the gift, the more powerful that can then be used for good or evil. Sex is a very good gift and must be used wisely. Second way, sins are not the same. Sins have different external consequences, right? Internal consequences are different for different sins. External consequences are different for different sins. Which is obvious, right? You think about it, you go, okay, let go back to the, the hatred and murder thing. Duh. <laughs> Not the same. Not the same. Uh, for example, if I dislike you, they don't put me in jail. Each layer of sin's growth, each layer of sin's growth from seed to sprout to full grown has different, bigger and bigger, both internal and external consequences. Listen, it's not even a sin to be angry, is it? But don't let the sun go down on your anger. Because if you do, it can grow into a resentment and the resentment can then sour into bitterness and then bitterness can bubble up into contempt and contempt can overflow in slander and hatred, and so on and so forth, and murder. And if we don't literally kill the person who offended us or hurt our feelings, we might not literally kill them, but if we don't remove the roots through forgiveness, we usually end up killing their reputation in all of our conversations. In fact, we start to get offended if someone else doesn't agree with our anger. We might not like you if you don't agree with me about them. But none of us relate to that at all, do we? Yeah, we do. (laughs) We end up feeling betrayed if our friend doesn't agree with our verbal murder. And in the end, if we don't pull this thing out by the root, an entire community can be defiled, Hebrews 12, 15, by a root of bitterness that grows up. 
And we've seen that. Have you not seen that in your life? Have you not seen that in families? Have you not seen that in the workplace? Because the kingdom principles, they work everywhere, not just in church. So those are the first two ways. Sins are not different. Inter- sins are different. Sins are different internally, how they affect you inside. They're different in terms of the external consequences. Here's a third way. Third way, sins are different. They're, they're different in terms of how difficult it is to get free. Some things, you go, I am done with that. And then you're done with that. And some things you think to yourself, whenever I decide to get done that, with that, I'll be able to. Then one day, that day comes, and you decide to get done with it. <gasps> and it's not done. And then you can't figure out why you can't get out so easy. I quit smoking very easily, but anger has been a much more difficult issue. Just thinking about how easy it was to get free of smoking and how hard it is to be, get rid of anger kind of makes me angry. I'm just kidding. There was one time dealing with my anger, I came to the front because Dennis Utuzis talked about laying a finger on a pastor and he manifested and a demon came out and he got up happy and better. And I said, I hope I have a demon and I ran to the front. Yeah, that's, I call that story, the one time I wished I had a demon. And Dennis put his hand on me and he was quiet for a long time. Then he had a big old smile and he started laughing and I said, what is so funny? And he goes, Lord says, it's just you. They're not the same in terms of how easy to get free they are. Fourth way, sins are different. Sins are different, and this one is the one where people go, I don't know about all that, but you should know about all that because it matters how you view the Father. Sins are different in terms of God's emotional response. God's emotional response. God in the Bible. If you have, re- have you heard of the Bible? The God of the Bible is emotionally responsive and interactive. Based on what people are doing, he feels different things, is what I'm saying. The God of the Bible can be pleased, 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 because your attitudes and behavior please him. The God of the Bible can be annoyed, annoyed. Annoyed enough to send you a couple of prophets. The God of the Bible can be outraged, deeply grieved, and sad to the point where he says, I've had it with you people. And he sends the Assyrian army to murder you. Have you read the book? And don't get offended at God. God's righteous in the book. If you've got a problem with the book, The God of the Bible is emotional. He laughs, he cries, he whispers, he talks, he sings, and sometimes he even shouts. God goes especially mama bear. Do you know what what makes God go total mama bear? You know what you're going to do to get God really cross with you? Do something to hurt the widows, the orphans, the refugees, little children, You are, yeah, you are playing with your soul at that point. Go ahead, take advantage of an old sweet widow who's on her own and has no one. See how the father feels. Bro, you ain't, you don't know. 
Like that goes into the folder of they messed around and found out. That, that's like big deal stuff. Jesus, in fact, says this. It's, it would be better to tie a millstone around your neck and toss it into the sea than to cause one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble. Notice he doesn't say that about every sin. He doesn't say that. He said, in fact, in the context, he goes, listen, causes of sin are all over the place. But if you do this kind of stuff, you'd re- it'd just be better if you weren't born. Amen. That's the fourth way sins are not the same. They're not the same in terms of God's emotional response. Fifth way, and then we'll get on to how they are the same. Sins have different eternal consequences eternal consequences. Listen, I believe that every single person's experience of heaven or hell will be unique, utterly customized to exactly who each of us has become and is becoming. Jesus says there will be greater rewards in heaven for those who are faithful. Even a cup of cold water in his name will be rewarded, Matthew 10, 42. And those who pay the ultimate price of dying for the name will receive a greater resurrection. You know these verses? You've read these verses? A better resurrection. What could that mean, better? Better than what? Better than if they hadn't been killed for the sake of Jesus. Better when? Better on that side of eternity. Better where? Better in heaven. What do you mean better? I don't know. I'm just telling you what the word says. I haven't been there. I can't come back with a report. So better in heaven for paying a higher price. Jesus also says there will be greater condemnation in hell for those who are more wicked. Greater condemnation in hell. In Luke 12, 47, Jesus says that the person who doesn't do the good will be beaten with few blows, but the one who knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it will be beaten with many blows. In other words, sin done in ignorance is still sin, but sin done knowingly, willfully, rebelliously will be treated more seriously. Why? Because it's more serious. God's not a moral idiot. I mean, no parent would treat a child with a small sin the same as a a child with a big sin. You say something sassy to me and you instantly slap your hand over your mouth, your consequences are gonna be different than if you stare at me and say it in my face and spit. Come on, it's not the same. Amen. I see In fact, Jesus says, Luke 10, 12, it will be, listen to this, more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for the towns that reject his in the flesh gospel invitation. More bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for rejecting the manifest in the flesh, here and now Jesus, the shiniest, the greatest, the bright, I said shiniest is what I was going for. Let's go with shiniest, the shiniest light ever. Why? More light, more responsibility, more accountability. The more revelation you have, the more accountable you are, the greater the condemnation will be if you don't do what that light from God revealed. Interesting, right? Sins are different. 
internal consequences, number one. Sins have different external consequences, number two. Sins have, are different in terms of how hard it is to get free, number three. Number four, sins are different in terms of God's emotional response. And number five, sins are different in terms of their eternal consequences. Five ways they're different. I hope this kind of talk makes you want to live differently. Stop cheating God and, yeah, it's good enough. Yeah, whatever. That's what grace is for. Continues to do exactly what you know is wrong. I hope that's not your mindset. I hope the fear of the Lord, a reverence for God, and a sense that this moment matters, I'm becoming something. Of living awake. Today matters. Who I'm becoming matters. Stop sleepwalking through my life, wasting my time here. On the other, on the other hand, I don't want you to get on a treadmill of earning something as though we're earning something. I'm just saying this kind of truth makes us go, wait a minute, wait a minute, we're becoming something. Don't ignore my conscience. Don't ignore truth. Because truth makes itself known. Amen. And you line up with truth every time you're lining up with God. Even if you don't know his name yet. Amen. Okay. Part two. How are sins actually the same? How are all sins the same? Hey, fancy you should ask. Because I have some notes here about that. We should talk about that. This is the gospel, so hold on. Let me get a drink. Romans 3. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. How are sins the same? All have sinned. We're all in that boat. All have sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's universal. Isaiah 53. All of us have wandered away like lost sheep. They got one of, not one of us, not one of us stayed. Sometimes you read the disciples and you think they're the disciples. Like, duh, come on, how could you do not? Dude, I find a lot of hope in that. Praise God for the disciples. That means I can be a disciple. If they can, I can. They fall asleep when they're supposed to be praying. They go me first when they're supposed to say you first. They do all sorts of stuff that I do, and it gives me hope. All. James 2 says that if you break any part of the law, it's kind of like you broke all the law. Ephesians 2 says you were all, we were all dead in transgressions and sins in which we used to live. Well, that's an interesting expression. Dead? in which we used to live. Wait a minute. We were the walking dead? Uh Uh-huh. We were spiritually dead, physically alive. What does he mean? He means we didn't know God is what he means. He means we were dead to God. We were on the outs. We were not in. We were out. All of us, we were out. We weren't made of the right kind of stuff. It's not that we did the wrong things. We were literally made of the wrong kind of things. So even if we acted the right way, it would just have been an act. In that sense, sin's the same. Listen, there's no shades of dead. Remember the Princess Bride? And then he gives him the thing, and it turns out he's only mostly dead. He makes him the chocolate-covered thing. Did you ever wonder what that medicine pill covered in chocolate to make it go down easy? Billy Crystal. Did you ever wonder what that tasted like? I did. It turns out he was only mostly dead. But see, that's why is that funny? 
because there's no such thing as shades of dead. Being dead's a little bit like being pregnant. I've never heard of a father of a teenage girl who was greatly relieved when his daughter came and told him, but dad, I'm only a little pregnant. Oh, in that case, I feel better. Pregnant is pregnant. Dead is dead. There's no shades. So the fundamental problem, this is the sense in which all sin's the same to God. We're all born in sin. We, we've all sinned. We're sick with the, we all have a common sin sickness, kind of allergic to God by nature. We break out in hives with too much God. I used to say that about the guy who later was my discipler, my mentor. I used to say, I love that guy. If he would just shut up about Jesus for half a minute, I wouldn't mind. I would love being around him because I just kind of start to break out in hives because I was spiritually dead. So I hated life when life came around. The fundamental problem that Jesus solved is the sin and death problem. The sin and death problem. In fact, the sin and death problem is the problem. It's the problem almost nobody is trying to deal with except Jesus, but it is the problem underneath every other problem we have, sin and death. I think it's weird science isn't like, we should get after this whole sin and death problem. Elon Musk even said, I think death will probably come as a great relief. And I thought, you need a nap. He's running too many companies. <laughs> if you're thinking you need to die to have a vacation, maybe, maybe run less companies. But the sin and death problem is the fundamental problem that Jesus came to solve and that he did solve. And it stems from our ancient parents. Here's your sound effect. Who? What's a better one? How can we make a better one? Does somebody know how to do that side? That one. There we go. Our ancient parents who disconnected, they unplugged from God. And, and through them, we all inherited that disconnection from our source, that disconnection from the true source of our life and everything good, the true source of everything good in the whole universe. We disconnected. Because of them, we disconnected. The disconnection, listen, the disconnection doesn't come from doing bad things. The doing bad things comes from the disconnection. The lie religion sold the world is the disconnection was caused by you being naughty, but if you'll be good enough, pray long enough, tithe well enough, organize your, your soul good enough, you can find your way back. And Jesus is like, actually, the problem is you. And you can't fix you by putting you in new poses. You need a heart transplant. You need a nature transplant. You need radical forgiveness, and you need a reconstitution of the depths of your nature. You need me to implant the nature of my son into who you are so that he will give you as a gift life. So the fundamental issue for us Christians, the reason we're so concerned about missions, the fundamental issue is we see life through an eternal, land, eternal, eternal lens. And because we see life through an eternal lens, we see that, yeah, 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 there's good and bad people and all that kind of stuff that I said in the first half of the message. But the fundamental issue at the end of the day is are people connected to Jesus 
or are people disconnected from Jesus? That dominates our heart and our mind so fully that we know if we'll get them rightly connected to Jesus, rightly connected, and to a believing community, it really does matter, that they will, of course, change as people. They will be transformed from the inside out. But we're not trying to transform them from the inside out as a means of getting them connected. We're trying to get them connected. See, this is why I've said for a long time now that rebellious flesh and religious flesh are two sides of the same flip coin of lostness. In the Luke 15 story of the two sons, the son who went away was lost. The son who stayed home was lost. Neither knew the father. They were rebellion and religion were both lost. What they needed was something completely different. They needed the love of the father. They needed the gospel. They needed grace. They needed the gift of the robe and the ring and the sandals and the calf. They needed to truly know the father. Rebellious flesh, religious flesh, equally lost. See, in this sense, I don't care if, you, if your sins are little sins or if your sins are big sins. Lost is lost, dead is dead. Pregnant is pregnant. Okay, so in this sense, sins are the same. Whether it appears to us to be big or small, all of us are alike born afflicted with a sickness unto death. We can't cure ourselves by diligently working to prove, see, I'm a good boy, love me. Though I very much do want that. I want to hear his affirmation, right? But this, see, this is the gospel heart of the matter. There is no one whose sin is so small as to render them worthy. Isn't this gospel? There's no one whose sin is so small as to render them worthy. But really, please take this in. There's no one whose sin is so great as to render them unworthy now that he has died to make you worthy. You don't deserve the blood of Jesus. But you are worth the blood of Jesus. The cross shifts the fundamental basis of my identity. The cross shifts the fundamental basis of my value. Never again should I mistake what I deserve for what I'm worth. In fact, he took what I deserve because of what I'm worth. See, nobody dies for trash. He doesn't see trash. He sees a treasure buried in a field, so he sells everything he has to buy that field. 
And the cross is the great equalizer of humanity. It humbles every one of us. And it exalts every one of us. How humble, Tim. That's how sinful I am. I need that to save me. That's how sinful I am. That's how sinful I am. That's how lost I am. That's how broken I am. But the gospel exalts every one of us. Exalted how? That's how much I'm loved. That is the true measure of my value. So when someone says all sins the same to God, I think this is what they're trying to protect. I don't think they're trying to paint God as a moral moron who can't distinguish between what different sins, you know, deserve and so forth. I think we're trying to protect the real issue underneath the gospel, which is, do you know him? Do you know him? Are you in? And if you're in, you didn't earn it. If we're lost, if we're lost, there will be different levels of condemnation in hell. And if we're saved, there will be different levels of reward in heaven. But the fundamental issue of our lives is connection to God through Jesus. Four healthy impacts. Four healthy impacts that these gospel truths should have on us. Number one, the gospel destroys the lie. I'm basically a good person, so I deserve heaven. Well, you're basically stupid and deserve to be slapped, but we're not going to do it because we ain't got the time for the drama. As we stand before the bright light of Jesus' throne, there's a whole bunch of stuff that a lot of us thought were our virtues that are just going to dissipate. And we're going to realize, oh, that was my temperament. That was my personality. That was chemistry. That was favorable shaping forces. And these things are just going to fall off of our soul. And the real us who made the choice with, with those raw materials is going to be revealed. Similarly, The opposite's true. There's going to be people who stand before the throne that you and I maybe thought were a mess, but when we see all they had stacked up against them, the person that ends up being revealed is better than us, though outwardly they were worse than us. Isn't that something special? Things are not as they seem, but God sees them as they are. And something about this grace gospel cuts through those illusions, and if we're really aware he'll start to cut through those things now while we're alive and humble us now while we're alive and give us more mercy for people now while we're alive. A lot of the stuff that many of us think are our gifts to God in the light of the throne will say, oh, actually, those were God's gifts to us. Hmm. Second healthy impact of this gospel 
The gospel destroys self-righteousness and pride, destroys self-righteousness and pride. In Luke 18, Jesus talks about two people at prayer, and the first guy says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I do this, 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 and this, and whew, I'm, thank God especially I'm not like this guy over here. And then the second guy prays, oh, help, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. And Jesus said the second guy went home right with God, and the first guy wasn't. Jesus declares the second guy justified, just as if he'd never sinned, and he declares the first guy's prayer nullified, just as if he'd never prayed. So if we think we're good people and other people are bad people, that should be like a warning light on the dash, blinking, saying, you've lost the plot of the gospel, friend. I'm a good person. That person's an idiot. Little blinking light. Oh, come on, though. Come on, don't you ever? I think it sometimes. Third healthy gospel impact. The gospel grows my mercy for others. In the Lord's Prayer and in the parable of the unforgiving servant, Jesus connects receiving God's mercy with becoming that mercy for others. These are bound together. We receive mercy, we become mercy. Fourth healthy gospel impact. Simon in Luke 7 shows this one. Well, really the story with Simon. The gospel, this grace gospel, it just provokes love for God. It just provokes it. It doesn't command it. You should love God. No, it creates it. How? How does it create it? Simon in Luke 7 says, Surely if Jesus were a prophet, he would know what kind of a woman she is. You know what he was thinking? He was thinking she's a dirty whore. That's what he was thinking. Tim, don't say it in church. Sorry, I just did. And it hurt me to say it. But I'm just saying, that's what Simon was thinking. How could Jesus let her touch him? She's wiping her hair on his feet. That's just, it's too much, man. And then the money is too much. The whole thing's too much. Simon thinks he knows who Simon is. I'm a good person. Simon thinks he knows who Mary is. She a bad person. And he thinks he knows who Jesus is. He ain't no prophet. You remember in the newer Star Wars movie where Luke says, impressive, Any, every, every word of that sentence was wrong. No, you don't watch that one? You didn't think it was good? I didn't either. But it's like really impressive that you could get everything wrong in one sentence. That's, wow, that's an achievement. Simon's wrong about who Simon is, who Mary is, who Jesus is. Mary, she knew her need. She knew her need. And she found the greatest treasure anyone can ever find. And you ain't going to stop this woman from pouring out her devotion. You ain't going to stop her from, you're not going to stop her. Because she's found the greatest treasure and no one. No one can tell her different. I was standing in a service one time and this black lady was preaching. Best sermon I think maybe I've ever heard in my whole life. And she said, what has Jesus done for you? Come on, you know what Jesus has done for you. Somebody better praise him. If you know what he's done for you, somebody up in here better praise him. And the whole group got up in the middle of a sermon to worship as intensely as like the apex of the resurrection verse of the songs. You know what I mean? I was like, this girl's on point. Actually, 
I was a young Christian and I had read these verses about women be silent in the churches. So when she got up to preach, I was like, can she do this legally? By the end, I was like, she seems to be doing this extremely legally. And her husband came and gave her a hug and everything and played a jazzy version of As the Deer. And, and then the preacher introduced her. And I thought, all right, the preacher and her husband are like, get it, get it, girl. Preach the living snot out of the sermon. Kick these people in the ropes. And I was like, I was like well, these guys seem cool with it. Anyway, those are pre- those, that was a lot of years ago. Get on point, Tim. Get back on point. Mary knew. Nobody could tell her different. She knew what Jesus had done for her. You ain't going to stop her from worshiping because she knew him. She had history. Simon, on the other hand, he had no clue who, is, who he was. I'm a good person. He mistook his sins for virtues. If, if my understanding of Jesus zeroing in on the scribes and Pharisees as the worst sinners is correct... Tax collectors and prostitutes enter the kingdom of heaven in front of hypocrites. Tax collectors and prostitutes know they're doing wrong. Hypocrites don't know they're doing wrong. Pride hides. It's weird sin because you can do the right thing for the wrong reasons and then be proud that you're doing the right things better than others. Pride is fundamentally comparative. Therefore, pride is fundamentally social. It's not just a disordered heart. It's a disordered heart toward others. The, the old dead saints have always said pride's the worst of all sins. And I thought, why? Why is that the worst? Remember what I said about sins are not as easy to get out of you? I think maybe that's partly why. How do you get something out that you don't even see? It's always funny to brag about how humble you are. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm the most humble person in this church. Right? We're like, ah, oh, you lost it. You're done. But I don't think we, we make ourselves humble. We can humble ourselves, but God makes us humble. Okay. Simon mistook his sins for his virtues, and if my suspicions are correct, he was probably the worst sinner in the room, thinking he was the best person in the room. That doesn't mean he couldn't have got free. And when he got free, don't you think he would have worshipped? Can you see why the church has placed pride at the top of the list? Does it make sense? So those are just four applications of this gospel It destroys the lie, I'm basically a decent person and I deserve heaven. It destroys self-righteousness and pride. It grows my mercy for others and it provokes love for God. So as you've been listening to this, you you maybe started to detect some pride in yourself. Good. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. Shall we pray? Father, we repent of the sins of the flesh. We repent of our sexual sin and our anger and our resentment. 
We repent of just loving comfort and being lazy and saying no to you by ignoring your voice. We wouldn't say no quite like that, but we kind of say no in other ways, and we're sorry, God. But we also want to repent, Father, of the sins of our spirit. They're, they're sneakier. They're, they masquerade. This one, pride, God where we think of ourselves as the good guys and other people as the bad guys, and when we do the same thing they're doing, we have excuses, but when they do it, it's because they're being mean. We show ourselves mercy and not as much for them. So Holy Spirit, would you wake us up, not to your great anger at us for being that way at all, but to the reality of the grace you're having on us that we're not noticing every day. The mercy you're showing us that we're not even aware of because we're not aware of the ways we're kind of not in line with you. Holy Spirit, we come home to Jesus. We come home to grace afresh. We come home to the finished work of Jesus, making us your child. Holy Spirit, we say thank you that you're here and you're not leaving. Father, we say thank you for giving us Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for taking my cross, my sin on yourself. Just talk to him. Talk to him for a minute. And if you're saying, okay, I detect pride in myself, one of the more annoying, humbling things you can do is to admit it in front of people who you want to think well of you. So if that's you right now and you want to take a step, just come up here right now and I'm going to pray for you. If you see pride in your life that you want to put to death, put it to death right now in this moment. Don't don't overthink, don't hesitate. Uh, I'm going to give the prayer team a break today from from doing their job. And I'm just going to be the prayer team today. You may, you may. So next time you hear somebody say, all sin's the same to God, you can feel free to agree with them. Or you can maybe feel free to disagree with them. Because they're kind of right. And they're also kind of wrong. (laughs) 